We are, uh, we are wrapping up a teaching series, a, a series of messages that we've been in the last month or so called Dangerous. And over the course of this study, we've been asking this question, are you dangerous in the eyes of Satan, our enemy? In other words, hypothetically speaking, when he wakes up in the morning and he plans who he's going to attack that day, and he thinks about you, is he worried? Does he even care what you're doing? We could say it this way. Are you, are you a danger to Satan's plan to discourage and destroy everything and everyone that God cares about in this world? Are you a danger to his plan? And, and in case you don't know this, his plan is to discourage and destroy in fact, John 10.10 10 says that he came, the very reason he came is to steal life from you, steal joy from you, to kill and destroy, to destroy anything that's good in this world. Now, if you happen to be new this morning and this is your first time to the Dangerous series, again, some of this is hypothetical because I don't know if, if Satan sleeps, but, but the idea is to ask ourselves, are we making a dent in the destruction that Satan wants to spread all across this world to people who love God and to people who don't love God? Because God loves everybody. And Satan's plan is to destroy and to discourage everyone on this earth because really who he wants to get to is God. And he knows he can't touch God, so he comes after us because it's, uh, it's, we are the, the object of, of the affection of, of God. And that's why he comes after us. If you've never really thought about this whole question, am I dangerous, let me tell you this this morning, you should. You should be asking yourself that question, and here's why. If you're on Satan's radar, if you're showing up on his radar and he's coming after you and he's attacking you, then you must be doing something right in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And notice, I didn't say everything. As my mom used to say, don't get too big for your britches. It doesn't mean that you're doing everything right, but if if you are showing up on Satan's game plan for today or tomorrow or this week or this month, it probably means that you're doing something right. Now, let me say this. Sometimes Satan just attacks us because he hates us. And maybe you're not doing anything right, but he attacks anyway. It's, it's what he does. It's who he is. He comes after us. Now, as we've walked through this study called Dangerous, we've kind of been taking a, a, a page out of our uh, nation's military playbook, and they have this uh, alert system called DEFCON. I won't, I won't go through the whole thing, but basically there are these levels of threat against our nation. And for this last month or so, we've kind of created our own. I, I won't make you read them again today. If you've missed, please go online and look at them. But basically, we kind of created this hypothetical DEFCON for Satan, which means defense readiness condition. And so if Satan had this big board in hell of the most dangerous people, the people he's most worried about, where would you fall on that board? Where would you be? And so as we are walking through this, we've been taking a look at the lives of some people written about in the Bible who through their faith, how they lived out their lives, how they cared about other people, and how they trusted God during really hard and uncertain times have proved themselves to be a danger in the eyes of our enemy, Satan. Before we dive into all that today, I want to show you our last installment of our staff team uh, being dangerous. For the last several weeks, we've uh, taken the opportunity to film some of our team doing something that some people may feel is dangerous. And this week, we asked our uh, lovely IT director, Johanna Gonzalez, if she would face some of her fears, and this is what it looked like. Hey, Joe. What's up? What are we doing today? Zip lining over the Royal Gorge. And why is that dangerous to you? Because I 
because I don't like heights. So Joe, how scared of heights are you? I don't like getting on ladders to change the light bulbs in my house. That's so, how scared I am. So pretty scared. Yes. So we're getting close. I have a question. Uh, have you ever been on a zip line before? No. Why should I? It's up high. So you're scared of most zip lines. Is that fair? I'm scared of most things, most things higher than like three feet. Okay. Did you know that this is the world's highest zip line? Nope. How does that make you feel? Uh, it's freaking me out just a little bit. Yeah, it should. Thanks, Brendan. at the end of this how'd you feel about the gondola ride i hate it you still hate it i feel like you're making me do double whammy mm -hmm. oh it's gonna be much worse no words <laughs> joe it's almost time to ride how you feeling feeling scared. I'm trying to pretend I'm not. What do you keep telling yourself? That I got this. I'm not scared of heights. Maybe. Are you scared of heights though? Hey, so, uh, you know, it's been fun uh, doing some of these things, and uh, I noticed Johanna at the end there, uh, she had her arms all open, and, you know, it's, it's interesting how uh, when we are doing things that feel dangerous to us, that in the beginning, all we want to do is say cuss words, right? But if we'll just push past that first threshold, what we find sometimes is that life is adventurous and and there are things out there that look scary at first but if you'll just trust God and take that step that by the end of the ride you've got your hands open and you're going this is awesome not always not always but sometimes so anyway thank you guys thank you for our team doing that uh these, all these videos are online. Uh, yes, Jamie is the most popular. Everybody wants to watch Jamie's video. All she did was ride a little swing. Uh, not like she jumped out of an airplane or anything. So anyway, um, so you can go uh, watch those online. Uh, good, good, good stuff. Hey, last week we uh, took a, a brief look at the story 
of this guy that we don't even know his name. We just know him as the Good Samaritan. And uh, we won't go into all of it, but I want to uh, remind you kind of a quick review of some things we pulled out of that story last week. Uh, and uh, again, if you're new here at the Bridge Fellowship, when you see uh, something on the screen, don't feel like you've got to find a pen and take notes. Just pull out your smartphone, take a picture. There's going to be some really good stuff worth taking a picture of today. Uh, and uh, here we go. First from last week, the Good Samaritan was dangerous because he allowed his schedule to be interrupted by the needs of another person. And uh, I went through this whole um, Walmart ritual, right, where we go to Walmart, and and, uh, I don't know about you, but the three or four or 20 times I had to go to Walmart this week, I just thought of more and more things about Walmart that offer the opportunity for other human beings to tick us off right? It's just like this breeding ground. It's like a laboratory for us to look at other human beings and think, you, you make me angry or, you know, whatever. And, and so the, the lesson we learn from the Good Samaritan is that we have to get to a point in our lives where we allow our time, our schedule to be interrupted because of the needs of others. And as scary as that sounds, and as frustrating as it sounds, and how every time we do get interrupted, we, we, we just loathe it. It's actually what we are wired to do. And if, if we can build in our lives a habit of helping other people, sooner or later you'll look up one day and you'll go, this is what I was meant to do. This is what brings me real joy is helping other people. Second truth that we pulled uh, out of last week is this. The people surrounding you every day are not your enemies. They are broken and wounded individuals in need of someone to pull them out of the ditch. And we follow that up with our, our last statement last week. It goes like this. You'll know you're dangerous when you are willing to go into the ditch and help someone, not just anyone, but someone that you know doesn't deserve it. And the, the point we drove home last week is th- the very thing that allows us to have the grace and the love to help people that don't deserve it is the fact that Jesus went first. He left the comfort and glory of heaven and came here, crawled into the ditch, so to speak, to pull us out, knowing by no means did we deserve it. And, and because of that, we now have the opportunity to do the same. So we're going to wrap this thing up today by looking at a story that may or may not be familiar to some of you. Um, probably not, but I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Um, there's a bad word in the message today, uh, and it starts with an M, and it's called money. No, I didn't tell you last week that today's message was going to have the topic of money in it, because I know half of you wouldn't have shown up today knowing that we were going to talk about money. It's amazing, over the last 25 years, every time, and by the way, if you're new today, all these people sitting here that are regular Bridge family, they are my witness. We do not hammer the money thing here at the Bridge Fellowship. I believe that's something that you ought to grow in, and we're going to talk about it today. But if you're here today, and it's your very first time visiting, I promise, like you're probably sitting there going, great, first time, and they're already asking for our money. Okay, here's the deal. We don't talk about this very often, but God does. And we're going to find out why it is that the Bible talks so much about money today. And so, uh, so this story is about a widow. And I'm just going to read the story real quick, and then we're going to start breaking this thing down. Uh, it's an amazing uh, story, and I'm just telling you, it's not about money. Okay, so let's read together. Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this. <clears throat> Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said to the crowd there, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those rich people combined. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, I want to I 
there's so much in this. This this passage is so rich with biblical truths, but I want to I want to clear a couple of things up first, okay? Number 1, I want you to know that this passage today is not teaching this and we here at the bridge don't teach prosperity gospel. And prosperity gospel goes like this. If you'll just love Jesus enough and if you'll just trust him enough, he'll give you a new car or he'll make you win the lottery or he'll give you a new house, or he'll pay off all your bills. And if you don't have all those things done, then you just don't love Jesus enough. Uh, and, and listen, I'm not throwing rocks at other pastors or other churches anywhere in the world, but I want you to know that that message is taught. There are people and churches that teach, hey, if you're not rich, it's because you're not trusting God enough. If if you do trust God enough, then you'll drive a very nice car and live in a very nice house, and God wants you to be rich. And here's my response to that. Actually, here's God's word response to that. God has a plan and a hope and a future for you, and it's good. But good doesn't mean wealthy. Sometimes the best parts of life are where money is the most scarce. Uh, I've shared a few times that a few years ago I had the opportunity to go to Africa. Money is scarce in Africa. But joy is not. And it's amazing to watch these families. And I, I used to kid all the time. I was, I, I was a youth pastor for, for several years. And when, when my students would get a new, you know, PlayStation or Xbox or something like that, I would make the joke that, you know what I played with when I was a kid? I played with dirt, right? And everybody, well, in Africa, they literally play with dirt. And that's what they play with. And they're so happy. And so I want you to know that's not what this passage is talking about, but, and, and it's not what we teach here at the bridge. But also, this passage is not talking about, and we don't t- teach here at the bridge, poverty gospel either. And poverty gospel goes like this. If you really love Jesus, you would go sell everything you have and live homeless. That's how you'll know that you're really following Jesus. It's when you trust him enough to give away everything that you have, give it away to people, and you just go live under a bridge somewhere. If that really is the gospel, 99% of us are going to hell, right? Because none of us are living homeless on purpose under a bridge somewhere. Now, The Bible does teach very clearly, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that everything in our lives, not just possessions, but people and hopes and dreams and jobs and futures, we need to hold all of them with an open hand, trusting that his way is best. But just because this passage in Luke 21 talks about this lady being poor and saying she, she gave all that she had to live on, this is not a prescription that says, if you don't do that, if you don't get down to your last two pennies to rub together and give them to Jesus, and, and then he'll love you, that's not what God's Word's teaching, and that's not what we believe here at the Bridge Fellowship. Everybody with me so far? Okay. All right, now, let's go back to this story, and let me break a couple of things down here. First of all, when it says Jesus looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts in the offering box, uh, you may or may not know this, but um, back in Jesus' day, a lot of these uh, offering boxes, if you will, they actually looked like a giant vase. They were made out of brass. And, and so, you know, if you, if you bang something against brass or, you know, other metals or whatever, it makes a lot of noise. And so what a lot of these men would do is they would make their monthly wage or their weekly wage in regular money, then they would go to town and they would uh, exchange all the paper money for coins so that they could go into church and dump all of their offering for that week in coins and it would make this huge noise and everybody would look and go, oh my gosh, look at him, look how much he's giving, he must really love Jesus. It's one of the reasons we don't pass the plate here at the Bridge Fellowship. You may not have ever noticed that, but we don't pass the offering plate here. We have some offering boxes back there, and we have online giving that I'll, that I'll get to in a minute. But the reason 
that we don't pass the plate is twofold. Number one, we don't want to tempt anybody to feel like they have to put on a show when they're giving to God. In fact, God's Word says, let your giving be done in secret. Your Heavenly Father will honor you. You don't need everybody else's pat on the back for what you're giving God in money, right? But the other, the other reason we don't pass the plate is because, you and, and you already know this, our world is so skeptical toward the church for many reasons, not just financially, but most people who are skeptical, skeptical about God and skeptical about the church they assume when they walk into a church building, all that person wants that's up here teaching or all the church wants from them is they just want my money. And we don't want to create more barriers. We want to build bridges. And so I, I, I don't feel comfortable passing a plate. You know, if you're here and you're kind of checking out God and asking hard questions like, do I even believe this? It doesn't help for somebody to, you know, shove this bucket or plate in your face as it goes by and make you feel like, well, I guess I should give something. You and your giving habits and how much you give to God is a you and God thing, not anybody else thing, okay? And we'll we'll get to that more in a minute. But uh, here's a huge truth about this widow in this story. Again, we don't know her name. We just know her as the widow who gave an offering. And it goes like this. This story of the widow's offering is not a story about money. Even though it has money in it, it's a story about who or what we trust to take care of us when life becomes difficult or uncertain. That's what this story is all about. In fact, almost every single story in the Bible that talks about money isn't really about money at all. Money's just the object lesson. There's a much deeper lesson to be learned when Jesus talks about money. And here's one of them. The widow in this story was dangerous because she trusted God and God alone to take care of her no matter what. Now, let me call a time out here and just talk about the no matter what part there. Because I believe most people, especially if you're coming here on a Sunday morning over and over again, there's something in you that wants to know more about God. You love God. You want to be a good person. And so I believe that most of us, given the opportunity, we would trust God when things are good. Now, I don't know about how much gratitude we show Him. I don't know how often we drop to our knees and say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this and thank you for this. I I don't know. I mean, we're all different. But here's what I do know. Most of us, starting with this guy, when life gets uncertain and the circumstances are not going our way, we're not near as good at trusting God and God alone to take care of us. That's why money is such a great picture for us is because money is one of the first things we turn to to take care of us, right? It goes like this. If, if all my bills were just paid off, then life would be good. If I could just win the lottery and I wouldn't have to worry about money anymore, then life would be good. If, if I just had a car that ran better and I didn't have to worry about fixing my car all the time, then life would be good. There's another passage of scripture that talks about money, and it's a little more direct, and it's, it's not a story. It's actually a direct statement from Jesus himself. I want to read it together today. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, and these are Jesus' words, and he says this, don't store up treasures here on earth. Treasure could mean anything that holds value in your life, not just money, not just paper or coins. It could be possessions, people, status, your job, your career, your hopes and dreams. That's what he means by treasure is anything that holds value to you in your life. And so what he's saying is don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, he says, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. 
Because, Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And and reading between the lines in that last verse, verse 21, what Jesus is saying is, if all of your treasure resides here on earth, then so does your heart. And if, if your heart and your life is given to only temporary things, then you won't even be able to look forward to eternal things because everything you are and every hope that you have and everything that you value is tied up in temporary things. And Jesus is saying, hey, secret here, the temporary things aren't even the important things. The internal things are what really bring true life. And that's what he's trying to teach us. One of the reasons the Bible mentions money so often is because God knows it is the best indicator of what we will believe will take care of us in this world. That's why he talks about it so much. And not too long ago, we were on this topic, and I mentioned that, you know, the Bible has, I think, about 500 verses on prayer and over 2,000 verses that deal with money or possessions. And and by the way, Jesus didn't pick that many times. God didn't write the topic of money that many times in the Bible just to hammer it home to you or just because he's money hungry or just to punish you or make you feel guilty for not giving him more money. That's not why it's there. It's there, the topic of money is there in Scripture over and over and over again because God knows when life gets uncertain that's where you turn. And just let that settle for a minute and, and think about that in your own life. And, and listen, I'm guilty. I, I got that t-shirt. I'm in the team picture, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm telling you this morning, I don't know how many times that I say to my wife or to a friend or to God himself, if I just had more money, right? If I just had more of this, and you know, you've heard this saying probably all of your life, you know how much money is enough money, right? Just a little bit more. And it's how we're wired. It's, it's what we think of in our hearts. If, if I just had more possessions, then I'd worry less. You don't worry because you don't have enough money. You worry because you don't trust God enough. And I'm in that boat too. Again, lack of money is not the cause of our worries. Lack of trust and faith in Jesus is the cause and why we worry so much. So let's, let's uh, continue this uh, statement by Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. Jump down to verse 24 and he says this, really famous verse here. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And we'll come back. I know he's talking about money again here. Verse 25, he says, that's why I tell you, and and the that is, stop thinking about money so much. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the that is money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food uh, in the barns, yet their heavenly father feeds them. In In other words, in 2018 terms, Jesus is saying, last time I checked, rabbits and squirrels don't go to work every day, and they don't go buy lottery tickets, yet they're taken care of. So why should we worry? And put such a high value on money. He goes on and says, Aren't you far more valuable to him, God, than the animals are? And then I love this passage in in verse 27. This is strong. Can all your worries add one single moment to your life? You know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, and remember, our definition of worry is, We don't worry because we don't have enough money. We worry because we're not trusting God enough. And Jesus is piling on that, and he says, and by the way, how's that working for you? How's worrying getting getting you down the road? Is that that helping? 
Is that adding a day to your life? Is worrying making it better? And we all know the answer. Worrying just gives us high blood pressure. It doesn't make things better. It makes us cranky. It makes us treat other people lower and lesser than we should treat them. And so Jesus is saying, listen, all this effort that you're putting into worrying, because it takes effort to worry, it takes energy to worry. Let me prove it. If you have something going on in your life right now that you're worried about, physical health, finances, a job situation, your kids, your marriage, you're tired. You're tired. Because worrying wears you out. It just sucks the life out of you. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6, is he's saying, take that energy that you're spending on worrying and invest it in getting to know me more because the more you know about me, and that's why he's giving the example of the birds and all the animals, the more you know about me, the more you're going to know, I got this. I'm going to take care of you. So it brings us back to money. So if, if all Jesus wants us to do is trust him, then why all the fuss about money? Why did he command us to give money back to the local church? Fair question. Again, here's the answer. Because Jesus knows the one thing in your life that you're going to white knuckle more than anything else is your money. And the reason we hold so tight to our money and possessions is because we believe those are the things that will really take care of us when life gets hard. Not God. And, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth today. I'm, I'm, I'm testifying to you as a fellow struggler today. In my life, sometimes money has the wrong seat at the table. When God should be at the head of the table, I put money and possessions there and think to myself, if I just had more of that, then I'd be okay. When the real answer is, if I just had more Jesus, I'd be okay. That's why in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, God gave a commandment to everyone to give one-tenth of all your income to the local church. One-tenth, and, and that's where we get the, the word tithe. The word tithe is just a Hebrew word that means one-tenth. And so he says, hey, go give one-tenth every month, however often you get paid, weekly, monthly, sometimes back then it was yearly, and give one-tenth of everything you make, give it back to God. And he's not doing that because he needs your money. He's doing it to trust, to see how much you trust him. Let me do a little object lesson here. So, um, I don't know, I guess a couple of years ago I did this, and back then I, I, I used Skittles as the example, and I thought, you know what, we need to class things up here uh, today, and so instead of Skittles, we're going to do M&Ms, okay? And so let, let me give you an example, okay? Um, Keely, stand up here real quick. All right. So one-tenth of any amount is one-tenth, right? Hold out your hand, bub. All right. So we need 10 of those. You make me count? Yeah, I'm going to make you count. Oh, Alabama. I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. I should have chosen someone else. Sorry. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay. Now, because I love you, you can eat those. So pop them. Oh, there you go. Okay. Oh, wasn't that sweet? Okay, so if you, there's 10 here, right? So that means one-tenth of all the M&Ms in your hand equal how much? One. All right, one, right? So I'm going to pretend I'm God, and I'm going to take your one-tenth, okay? Right? Now, look, I'm taking one M&M. You get to keep all of these, okay? But hold on, stay right there, okay? Now, that's one-tenth of 10, right? But here's a reality. God gives all of us different size piles of M&Ms, 
okay? Some of you have jobs where your pile of M&Ms is 10. In other words, it's like this, you know? This is your pile. This is what you get. Sorry, right? Or not sorry, whatever. This is your pile. That's all you get, okay? But then there are some people who have jobs, and you get this pile of M&Ms, okay? Anybody want some M&Ms? Yeah? Okay. There you go. There you go, Wes. All right? Now, some people have a really good job, and you get this many M&Ms, okay? Yeah? There you go. And then there's you really snobby people who have really good jobs, and you get this many M&Ms, okay? There you go, Piper. Now, here's the point. One-tenth of Piper's bag is considerably more M&Ms than Keeley's bag. Everybody agree with that? But it's still one-tenth. When God in the Old Testament said, give one-tenth of everything you make back to the local church, his words were, bring it to the storehouse because the churches would store up um, money for when there was a famine or a drought or whatever, okay? And, and so if you have a little pile of M&Ms and you give one-tenth, it's going to be a different amount of the check that you write than if you have a giant pile of M&Ms, okay? Watch. Different amount of money equals sacrifice. And so what I'm saying today is that some of you fall into the category of John cha- or Luke chapter 21 when Jesus says, these people are giving out of abundance. And God's given you a big old pile of M&M's but you're giving the same amount that Keely is with his tiny little bag. And God's not calling you to skim off the top for yourself. Because when we have a big pile of M&Ms and we only give God a tiny bit, here's what we're saying. God, I only trust you a tiny bit. I, I, I trust you, I just don't trust you that much. And usually, for most of us, what we do is we go like this. Hey, God, all of this easy stuff over here, I trust you with that. Aren't you proud of me, God? I'm pretty awesome when you think about it, God. Like, you might want to bless me because I'm trusting you with all of this stuff. But this stuff over here, off limits. Because I don't trust you enough to give you all of this. One of the reasons that I don't get up here and talk about money very often is because I don't feel like we have to. Because when we do take a moment as a church family and I teach the biblical principle of giving, I'm actually teaching the same message we teach all the other Sundays of the year. It's the same exact message, just a different object lesson. Because the message is still this. Do you really trust that God's way is better? Do you really trust that if you'll take a step of faith and start tithing, meaning giving one-tenth of everything you make to Jesus and his church, do you really trust if you give that extra money that's been going somewhere else, if you give it to the church, do you trust that God will take care of you? And that's when it always gets awkward. It's just like, oh, great, I'm not tithing. And, 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 and look at me, I'm not throwing rocks at you. In fact, God's not throwing rocks at you. But I'll tell you this as a satisfied customer. And, and, and listen, I'm not, this is, there's not an ounce of arrogance in what I'm about to say. But you can go to our CFO, Elizabeth Patton, and you can look at the Ferris family tithing record. I have nothing to hide. And I don't get a lot of things right in my life. A lot of things, okay? But one of the things that we've gotten right in our lives is we genuinely believe if we give one-tenth of everything we make every month that God's going to take care of us. And we put our money where our mouth is. And I'm not saying that to show off. I'm saying it to say this. If I can do it, I know you can. Because even though I stand up here and they call me the pastor, a lot of you guys are way more spiritual than me, 
You love Jesus way more than me. And so if I can trust him enough to tithe one-tenth, I know you can. And here's the crazy thing. You can do it even when it seems impossible that if you tithe, you're going to be able to pay the rest of the bills. I'll show you what I mean. I've told a little bit part of this story before. Um, Back in the mid-2000s, I decided to go back to school and finish my degree. I got a BA in history and uh, started coaching high school football and just kind of another season of my life. Um, And during that season, when I went back to school, I took a 70% pay cut and I started mowing grass. And our goal as a family is we just didn't we, we, we wanted to be able to stay in our house for our kids to grow up in the same house, so we didn't want to get foreclosed on. And so Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I would mow grass. And Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I would go to class from about 7 in the morning till 10 at night. And, and listen, this was in Texas, and you can mow a lot of grass in Texas. In fact, I, I've told people forever, especially young men who wanted to start their own business, I promise you, you go to a major city in, in Texas, you can be a millionaire cutting grass for two reasons. Because it's hot and people are lazy, right? <laughs> people don't want to mow their own grass. But I, I didn't make that much money because I had to go to school full time. And I remember very many nights when Michelle and I would go to bed and we would look at each other and we would honestly say, we don't know where this is going to come from. I don't know how we're going to pay the house payment, the car payment, the insurance, the electricity. If we give this money to God and we believe with all our hearts that the Bible teaches that this belongs to God, it's his. I'm just giving it back to him. But we look each other in the eye and go, if we do that, something else has to go. Is God going to show up? This was about a two-year period that I was going back to school to finish my degree. So for two years, what I'm about to tell you happened, happened. And look at me. I'm not teaching prosperity gospel, and I'm not promising this is going to happen for you. I'm just telling you God took care of the Ferris family during those years. He continues to, but he did during those years, and those were lean years. Because you know what I'm talking about. There are some times when it's easy to tithe. And you're like, man, I'll write that check because money's good right now. But then there are times when you're like, we're at the end of our rope. And for most people, tithing is the first thing to go. And when, when it goes, what we're saying is, I trust money more than I trust you, God. There was one particular night, we were sitting at home, it was a Friday night, almost 10 o'clock at night, and we were having one of those discussions as a couple where basically our lack of money turns into a big fight. And I was feeling guilty because I left a a great job with benefits and a, a really good salary and now I'm cutting grass. And I, and I felt like a failure as a father. I couldn't take care of my family. And what, where the argument came from is, I said, you know what, just this one month, honey, we just need to not tithe so we can give the girls this. Because I wanted to provide for my daughters. And though it should have been me, you know, I got reverend in front of my name, I should have been the one saying, let's just trust God. It was my wife. She every time would say, no, we are not going to rob God. That is his, and we're going to pay it. I don't care if they shut the electricity off. We're going to give back to God. And this particular Friday night, we were in a fight. And I'm not kidding. It was almost 10 o'clock at night, and our doorbell rings. And it's a couple from our life group who are some of our dearest friends in the world. And I thought something was wrong with them. I go into pastor mode, and I'm like, are you guys okay? And they're like, yeah, we just want to talk to you for a second. Sure, come on in. And they were carrying a, a manila envelope, a big giant, one of those big puffy envelopes. And they sat down in our living room that night and they said, we don't want you to ask questions, but we want you to know that your life group 
and other people in your church believe in you. We believe what you're doing and we know it's hard. And we know you guys are faithful and we just hope this can help a little bit. And he hands me the envelope and I open it up. There's $2,600 in cash in that envelope. And for the next two years of my life, at random times, and it, did, it wasn't always perfect because we missed some bills, but I would go out to the mailbox and there'd be an envelope in the mailbox and it would just have $1,000 cash in it. And guys, again, I'm not promising you that's how it works. So don't email me if you start tithing and magical envelopes of money don't show up at your doorstep. But here's what I do promise. If you will trust God and obey him and give one-tenth of everything you make back to his church, I'm going to promise you two things, actually. First thing I'm going to promise you is he's going to take care of you. It may not look like what you want it to look like, but he's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. And you're going to learn through it. You're going to learn to trust him more and more. It could be that that season of going back to school and trusting God through that is what built up my faith muscles enough to pack our family up and come here to Colorado to start a church. Who knows? But you're going to learn something from it. But here's the other thing I'll promise you. And this gives me goosebumps when I think about it. If every person who is a member of the Bridge Fellowship family would tithe biblically, and give God one-tenth of everything they make every month, the amount of ministry that we'll be able to do and the impact that we'll be able to make on this city cannot be measured in human terms. Because that's what we'll do. We got bills to pay as a church, but I promise you, if you start tithing today, God will use that money and lives will be changed. And so as we close today, I, I want to just do this, okay? Every summer, churches all over America, here's what happens. Like, you know, after tax, or after, uh, you know, they pay off the bills from the holidays, like February, March, and April are good giving months. And then Memorial Day hits, and giving just tanks. It, it's all over the United States, every church. Because people are going on vacation, and they're not here, and other things are on their mind. And I, I'm proud to say that hasn't happened with us. We have little dips, but it's not all summer long. But I want to make a challenge to you as your pastor and as your brother in Christ today. I want to challenge you to biblically tithe for three months. June, July, and August. I'm giving you May off. Like May hadn't even started yet. I'm you're free in May. But during those summer months when it's really easy not to give, I want to challenge you to test God. And listen to me carefully. Give one-tenth of everything you make back to the church. And there are multiple ways to do it. You can drop it in the box here. We have online giving here at the Bridge Fellowship where you can go to our website um, and uh, you can even set it up as recurring payments. And, and I wish when Michelle and I were learning to be tithers that there were recurring payments back then because it takes the temptation out, right? Here's the promise I want to make you. If you will take this three-month challenge and for three months all through the summer, if you will tithe biblically, at the end of the summer, if God's not doing some really cool stuff in your life, and listen to me, I don't mean dropping money off at your front door, okay? It's not the criteria. But if you're not growing in your relationship with Him, if He's not showing you how much He loves you over and over again, and if your joy meter's not going up, then you come find me and I'll give you every dime back. It's on video. I can't go back on my word. And the reason I'm so confident in doing that is because I know God. And He's not going to let you down. 
He's not going to drop truckloads of money on you, but your life's going to be better even when the money's not there. I close with this today. One of the one of the best ways to know that you're dangerous. And I can't think of a better way to close this series. Is you'll know you're dangerous when you learn to trust God Almighty who created the universe more than you trust people or possessions. Because he's not going to let you down. It may not turn out like you thought it was going to, but he's not going to let you down. I promise you that. And I'm telling you, you take the tithe challenge this summer. And if you're not satisfied with what God's doing in your life, you come tell me and we'll give you every dime back that you gave to the church. We go back to the very beginning of this series. One of the very first things I said as I was walking away from jumping out of that airplane is I looked at the camera and I said, are you dangerous? And if you're not asking that question yet, after this five weeks, you better start asking it. Because if you're not even asking the question, that means you're not doing much in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you dangerous? Get dangerous and watch how God shows up in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we can trust you. Lord, life's scary and and we got to pay bills and stuff, God, and it's hard. And there, there are seasons, Lord, where We don't even know where the bills are going to come from, let alone giving some back to the church. But Heavenly Father, as we close out this dangerous series, I cannot think of a better way to measure our threat against the kingdom of hell than to test how much we trust you with our finances. And Lord, you know my heart. This is not a ploy to get more money for the church. All we want to do is help people with it. But Lord, as someone who's learned over the years how faithful you are, I pray that you would give courage to the people of the Bridge Fellowship to biblically tithe so that they can see you show up in their lives. That's what I really want, God. And then I want you to get all the glory for it. So God, give us courage. Grow our faith during this season. And help us be dangerous as we love on the people around us. It's in your name we pray.